Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Daisy is Careering. I'm Daisy Buchanan and this podcast is inspired by my brand new novel Careering. It's a story about the complicated relationship between ambition and anxiety and what to do when you think your job might be the love of your life but it's never going to love you back. Every episode I'm going to be talking to a special guest about their own relationship with what they do for a living, how they've navigated the emotional highs and lows of their career and how we can find a place for ourselves in a world where there is relentless outside pressure to succeed. How can we work on our own terms and can we make work work for us? In our final episode I'm talking to the best-selling author, activist, podcaster and journalist Bryony Gordon. For a long time Bryony has been one of The Telegraph's leading writers, and she became a household name with her beloved memoirs, from her hilarious, raw and moving debut, The Wrong Knickers, to her latest guide to managing mental health, No Such Thing as Normal. Bryony opens up about her alcoholism and how she used work as a way to legitimise her addiction, as well as exploring her very complicated relationship with social media, and how we can work out ways to navigate our need for validation. We also talk about marine biology at length. I really hope you enjoy this one. So, Bryony, the first thing I'd like to ask is, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Oh, um, that's a very good question. Okay, um, I I always loved writing, but I really wanted to be either... Well, I had a very, there were a few things that I wanted to be. I wanted to be an astronaut at one point, but that was kind of short-lived when I realised what it would involve. Um, and then I wanted to be a, a marine biologist. That, I, I was just, I'm obsessed with creatures of the sea. And then I also wanted to play football for Arsenal. But um, that was short-lived as well when I, when I realised it would involve being good at playing football. I am loving the breadth of this. <laughs> and I wonder whether being a writer sort of, it's the best thing if you want to live all of those different lives. Well, yeah, I guess it is. And I guess that's what journalism, you know, for me was like every day I would wake up and I would go to work and it would be like, what, what, you know, who am I getting to meet today? Who am I getting to, uh, you know, find out whose life am I going to find out about? Um, so, so yeah, I, but I still, you know, sometimes I wonder whether it's, it's really interesting. Like there's, I'm 41 now and I think, how could I like the the sort of sea really calls to me and I think how can I make that work <laughs> how could I combine careers of writing and marine biology together I, I haven't quite worked that one up yet Daisy but you know I'll let you know if I do oh please do I love that that is a very exciting idea it's something I'd love to revisit about you know, <laughs> sort of career changes because one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is you do so many 
different things brilliantly and obviously I think ultimately it's all kind of you know writing and connecting with people but there are there are many many hats that you wear. If it's all right I'd love to talk about how you got into journalism and also from reading your books because I remember you know reading your columns and sort of admiring you know you from afar and your your fabulous work and your really exciting life and you know going off and interviewing pop stars and flying everywhere you know I know from what you've written and what you've shared since that you were kind of living two lives and sort of struggling you know issues of mental illness and addiction while having this like incredible sort of glossy exterior where everyone wanted to be you did they I don't know like I tell you what like your book oh my god it just spoke to me Daisy so so much um you know I felt both of those characters I felt what they were experiencing you know in the in the work as a sort of substitute for (laughs) self-esteem um so thank you for writing it just just to start. So I, you know, like I always feel a bit uh I always feel a lot of shame about how I got into my job because my um it, you know essentially nepotism. So my you know and that, and that that word is sort of like but it was my um my whole family are writers and journalists and and I knew from a very young age, and I remember when I was coming up to uh, finishing my A-levels, and there was all this sort of talk about, will you go to university? Do you want to take a year out in between? And I really wanted to, in that slightly sort of addicty, alcoholic way, although of course I was not aware at the time that I was an addict or an alcoholic, um, I just wanted to jump straight in. And I remember raiding my mum's... <laughs> I mean, I can't believe how precocious I was, Daisy. It's like embarrassing because I could never be like that now. I remember raiding her contact book and asking people for work experience because I remember her saying to me, what makes you think that, you know, you're any better than any other 18-year-old who wants to go into journalism? And I was like, nothing. I don't think I'm any better than anyone. But you know, I would be stupid not to use these contacts. So I ended up getting um, like a month's work experience at the Express, which at the time uh, was it was very short staffed, very, I mean, this was like the late 90s. And I did, I was doing like research for like the sports desk, the politics desk. I was just like helping out like proper work experience. And then it sort of went from there. I remember like throwing some ideas out. I mean, it's, I, I feel really like embarrassed talking about it now. <laughs> but I um, I suggested there was, I can't even remember now, but there was like some, some teenage issue. And I was like, I'll write about that. And they were like, actually, yeah, that would be really good if you could. <laughs> and then I ended up writing a sort of, I guess like a kind of, it was like an, a column basically for teenagers in the Express. So it was all like really random like there was no (laughs) like that certainly wasn't what I'd got in there expecting and so I carried on doing that carried on doing research for the lobby teams and the sports teams I you know I remember doing things like assisting people uh I remember going to like Yeovil Town once to report on a football match or something so there was like this real varied I was like real kind of making tea doing all the those things that you do when you're doing work experience and then what happened was the Telegraph at the time I mean this is like we're talking like this is like the the dark ages you know <laughs> so long ago but the Telegraph at the time had um a te- they had a teenage section 
are called um, T2. And I remember. <laughs> yeah. And they asked if I would write something about being a teenager. They'd obviously like seen this. And then uh, from there, I sort of started doing more and more. And then a job came up um, as showbiz editor, which basically involved editing four pages of content on, you know, on like the latest teenage books and albums and movies out and, you know, and that, and, and I got it, which is bizarre. I was 19. It, you know, it's so mental. I mean, that <laughs> might still be my dream. <laughs> well, I remember like interviewing like Westlife and Craig David and being like, oh my God, this is amazing. And like getting to go to the Brits and all of that. Um, yeah, there was a bit of a, it was a bit, it was a bit strange. And then, and then I, and then again, I mean, this was like, you know, uh, the I don't know if you remember the Mirror had well, they, I think they still do have the three AM girls who were like oh, gossip yeah. columnists, and uh, one of them left, and they got in touch with me and were like, "Would you like to try out for this job?" And I was, you know, I was I was not cut out for that at all, but I did, and I briefly, I mean, like we're talking for like eight weeks, was a three AM girl before I realised. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I was not cut out to like staying out late and well I was cut out to staying out late, but I wasn't mm. cut out to like going up to celebrities and I couldn't do it and I quit. I ended up going on the trainee scheme at the Telegraph and I'm sort of been on it ever since. And I remember <laughs> yeah, I, the trainee scheme you were supposed to like go around apartments and I started on features. And they were like, we're going to keep you on features because we, someone's gone on maternity leave and we need an extra body. And, you know, you can, you can go and you can, we can rotate you onto news in a bit. And um, I'm still on features, you know. <laughs> and you never left. <laughs> I never left. And um, yeah, so that, that's basically uh, how I got into the job. And it sounds like, it, you know, like, and I am aware of my privilege here, Daisy. Okay, so I'm not going to, you know, I won't beat around the bush on that one. Um you know, I hope that I've proved to myself and my ability, but also I'm, I hope that I've gone on to use the position I have to do good things, if that makes sense, and to lift other people up. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think it's really complicated to talk about. And I think that, you know, you're so right. And as I sort of, you know, it comes up a bit in careering that journalism is one of the, you know, there are quite a lot of areas in the sort of, you know, anything a bit creative and artsy where it's, really really hard and if you have any kind of a way in you've got to use it and I I mean certainly like when I was at uh, Bliss magazine and I was in my 20s but definitely still felt like a teenage fangirl but I booked the work experience people coming in and quite a lot of the time you get like their mums ringing up and sending the emails Mm. and doing all this and that's like no if they're not capable of putting themselves forward (laughs) for this then heaven help them when they and they get in here. When I read The Wrong Knickers, and you talk about living with your sister and another uh, flatmate who I think I maybe met when we yes. did that event together. Um, yes, you did, yes. Which is very exciting. Um, I had a real fangirl moment. But you're talking about struggling to pay your bills and things being, you know, cut off. And I was another person where I was, I was really, really, really ashamed of not earning any money. And I, you know, just the story I sort of told myself like well it's because I'm bad with money and I'd almost do things to prove it to myself so I do be very irresponsible with credit cards and things and be a it was like a sort of 
you know, self-shaming. Like, it was much better for me to feel like the architect of my own destruction than to look at the facts and say, I am not making enough money to live. Yeah. But I sort of, I felt so alone in that because no one ever talked about it and I was also doing where I thought if I just double down if I work twice as hard as I need to surely they will pay me twice as much and that's mad I know and I don't think I sort of I thought that as a fact but I felt it as a feeling and then reading you talking about you know living this life that I recognized and I was it was a real like something shifted for me that was sort of enormous I think that, like, I uh, there is that weird kind of two living two worlds thing where, yeah, I remember I was, I was thinking about it, you know, talking to you, time we're talking to you and the Oscars have just happened. I remember there were a couple of years where I was, like, sent out to cover the Oscars, right? And, like, I was probably about 25, 26, and I remember... Yeah, so you get on the plane and then the, they put you up in this like ridiculous posh hotel on Sunset Boulevard and then you'd have to go, you'd not have to, like you weren't forced at gunpoint, obviously. Like I would go, they'd be like, they'd be like, oh, we set up these things so you can go and like live the life of an Oscars nominee. And I'd be like, it was mental. Like literally getting your hair done in a place that it was, it wasn't even like a month's, it wouldn't have even cost a month's wage. It would have cost like six months wage, do you know what I mean? To afford to get my hair done at this place. And then, and then like going, and I remember, I was talking about this to someone the other day. I remember like going to somehow getting an invite to the Elton John uh, Oscars party, right? And it was, and I was like, I turned up and I was wearing like a really old Topshop dress that was probably falling apart, you know, like felt completely out of place because I was, but having to kind of pretend I wasn't. And I remember they gave us, every everyone who went got these goodie bags, right? And the goodie bags, oh my God, Daisy. They were like these, uh, at the time, very high tech, noise cancelling Bose headphones, right? I remember being like, oh my God, I remember selling them to on like eBay because you know that to me that was like <laughs> that was like rent do you know what I mean and then I remember mm. there was like this this voucher from Kiehl's uh and they were like stop by our Rodeo Drive store and you know redeem this to the value of a thousand dollars and I was like what, what? So I stopped by their Rodeo Drive store before I left <laughs> Los Angeles and I got all this Kiehl's stuff and that was literally Christmas birthday presents for like two years. Do you know what I mean? And it was this strange world and I see it and I and I think I always try and sort of like, that was what I thought I was supposed to do as a journalist was like, it was about, well, no, it wasn't what I thought I was supposed to do as a journalist, but I realised I couldn't be that person like I am not very good at being glossy and glamorous and holding my shit together at like a really um glossy glamorous drinks party do you know what I mean and and schmoozing um what what I realized was that I was a bit of a you know in a way I was a bit of a I, not in a way I was a bit of a mess and I sort of doubled down on that really and like so I, I remember when I got to the age of about 20s, you know, I was I'm not really realising it, but, you know, but also journalism is a, you know, if you if you like a drink, journalism is a very good mm. career to, to find yourself in. I mean, you'll always find people who like a drink in any industry, but, you know, it was part of the kind of whole job. And uh, and um, 
and I, I loved journalists and I loved listening to their stories and I loved, you know, that that sort of being in the thick of things. But I, you know, I took it, I always took it that little bit too far with my drinking. My behaviour was quite shameful and I would sort of spin it the next day in the office into like a hilarious anecdote, you know. Looking back, I was like, oh, but, you know, they, they, they noticed that and were like, why don't you write a column about your crazy single life? And that was when, I remember when I rocked up, when I ended up in rehab in my, when I was 37, I remember the, the lead counsellor there saying to me, you've turned your alcoholism into a career. Like, that's, that's genius, Bryony. And I was really shocked. I hadn't ever really thought about it that way. And now I do see, I see that I like to justify my behaviour or to, to, to kind of make it... No not my behaviour, you know, I wasn't like <sighs> killing anyone or anything like that. But like, it became a sort of like, that was part of my brand, you know, crazy, silly, briny. And then, and it was only really when I really nailed into what was under that, right? And I find myself writing about the pain underneath it, the obsessive compulsive disorder that tormented me, that actually, weirdly, my career really took off. It went to a place that felt right, if that makes sense. I was like being, I hate this kind of phrase, but like authentically me. You know, I wasn't pretending to be something. I wasn't pretending to be the gregarious, fun party girl. I was like, actually, this is who I am. And I'm a bit of a fuck up, like most people, (laughs) you know. I was going to say, I think I heard you or read you in an interview saying that you became more successful than you've ever been and I think maybe you felt that way too when you started get you know awkward word but at being authentic and I think that for so many people the relationship between like, alcohol and work is a really really complicated one because when, when you're young and you just want to sort of bond with these people as quickly as possible and it's I think what these relationships are often built on and I know that You know, lots of people have that with their colleagues. I certainly did. And it seems sort of unfair as well, I think, that something as complicated as alcohol that affects us all differently, we're supposed to be able to push it absolutely to the limit and go no further. And we're so quick to judge people who struggle to find their limits and struggle to, you know, metabolise booze. And it's it's funny, isn't it, how... One thing is a funny story and everyone has a good laugh and they think you're great. And then you just sort of dial it up a little bit further and then everyone's very cross with you. Oh, God, Daisy, I look back at my 20s. I don't know how I managed. Well, I do know how I managed not to get sacked because I turned it into <laughs> turned it into like a, a professional virtue, how I was behaving. But like, I don't know how I didn't die, you know, with some of the places my drinking took me. I think it's so interesting you know, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, about how much of my career was about desperately trying to create some self-esteem or protect what little self-esteem I had, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is why I think careering really resonated with me. Um, and, and how much of it is, do, how much of it do I really want, if that makes sense? Because yeah. I think we go, you know, it's it's that you know, you you see it in your book, the main characters who go in and they're like, this is what I need to achieve. This is what I need to do. This is, you know, I need to get a column. I need to be the pundit on Good Morning Britain. I need to be, you know, I need to be getting the hits. I need to be, this is, you know, this is the, 
this is what this is apparently what journalists do today. Do you know what I mean? And and if I'm going to be a successful mm. one, I have to do that. And then, you know, you hit all those goals, and you're like, ooh, is this really that enjoyable? Like, I I think I'm at a stage in my career now where I have realised that in a way my you know I started writing about my OCD kind of coming up for 10 years ago and that in itself has Mm. been a process and you know then very quickly realized that I was I had problems with alcohol and I needed to get sober Mm. and you know and that but like I'm at a stage now five almost five years into being sober where I'm like I don't want to write about this stuff anymore like firstly I don't really have anything to say because my life is blissfully banal you know um and and but I also don't like the kind of what I am like the the expectation of my job is and I realize I'm in a really privileged place here as well so I say all this you know and I and I want people to know but I don't I don't like that I you know I need to be a brand or I need to you know keep an eye on my Instagram following and engagement and all of that like I find all of that really exhausting and I realize that Mm. a lot of my career uh, a lot of my ambition in my career has come from a place of fear you know like Mm. if I don't do this I'm a failure and and oh people are going to somehow judge me and i and i don't want to i don't want to live like that anymore you know and a career is a long long thing hopefully right if we're lucky yeah. and it has so many different facets to it and mm. you know and i i definitely i don't really know what i'm saying and that's okay you know like <laughs> i don't have to know and no, that's the thing like i don't know what i want to do next or what but i don't you know like i i i feel very much ready to leave that part behind i mean it's so complicated isn't it because i know that all of your work and everything you've talked about about sort of you know mental health and mental illness is very complicated multifaceted thing that affects us all in all kinds of ways you know that the good that has done is incalculable the good it's done for me as well Daisy because the whole reason I wrote about my OCD and all of that first was because I needed to find other people like me you know it didn't come out of some sort of like oh I'm a I'm a you know a a martyr and an angel and I'm coming to you know help people it was like I needed the help of the connection with other people like when I wrote my first piece about about the OCD it was like come and find me here I am do you know what I mean and if you and if you and and I couldn't have imagined how many people would come and find me you know like everyone who who has come and found me has made like it's been part of my recovery Daisy like no no like and that's you know that's amazing I mean the story I love so much is when you set up mental health mates which I'm sure listeners are aware but it is a fabulous organization of walks and meetups where people can come and you know and be together and sort of you know have communities and there are different sort of regional chapters and I'll put the link to find out more in the show notes but when you first had the idea and that I believe your husband Harry said what if a load of nuts turn up and you said exactly (laughs) that's the point (laughs) that's what I wanted to happen yeah but I do think that it's a really really fine line for all writers to try and anyone who writes about their own life and themselves in a you know as you do you write it well and it's you know engaging and I love your funny beautiful sentences and I think that you know writing about ourselves is so so complicated um 
honestly, I'm not sure that it's something that is in in everyone's gift. I think lots of new writers, it, I think it's really good to have a sort of a grounding in journalism and writing about other people before you tackle you and you're you know you're able to to write for readers i i have a complicated relationship with it i mean i when i got onto social media here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, when social media... My real life, what I kind of started doing. I mean, I've never had a particular like plan, do you know what I mean, or anything, and 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 I, I really needed to connect with people, and I I I really felt that social media was just this relentlessly positive kind of um, glossy place. And and I think maybe what connected with people that was that I wasn't, do you know what I mean? But I. <clears throat> So I've always said I like to show the bad things as well as the good things, but increasingly I I don't need to do that because I don't want to do that because in a way it's like seeking, I, I mean, not, not in a way, absolutely, it's like seeking validation, you know. I'm, I'm okay as long as my 200,000 followers think I'm okay. <laughs> and that's not, you know, that is, a, that is not a kind of solid recovery base. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's a, it can actually be a start. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, but I also know, like, I, I have a really funny relationship with social media now. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I can, and then mm. this comes personally from a place of like, I am an alcoholic and an addict and I can use it in a very mm. alcoholic, addicty way. You know, where I'm like, ooh, look, my oh. followers are going up. All the, oh, they're going down. Mm. I am the worst person in the world or my career mm. is over and I can't live like that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That is not a reflection of other people on social media. That's totally my shit, you know, and that is where I can go with it. And I, and I sort of don't like it. Do you know what I mean? I don't like feeling like mm. that. I have a fraction of the followers you have and I really, really notice because I've been, I suppose, doing a lot of work on how I eat and abuse food. And when I started sort of looking into that and figuring out the sort of like, oh, I'm sort of abusing all of these different things on rotation and nothing to extremes. And I'm I'm okay. No one's going to sort of call me out on, you know, any one thing being a massive problem. If I was just focusing on one thing, I would be in trouble. But this is just how people live and are vaguely sort of bumbling along, mm-hmm. dissatisfied, oh, drank too much, ate too much, spent too much, what are you going to do? Way. And I really, 
really notice it. And I'm constantly like having to delete things from my phone and then sort of reinstalling them. You know, I'm promoting this book, Career and Hooray. Um, and there is sort of all of the, and I this, gosh, this sounds like the most, uh, to for want of a better word, wanky thing to say in the world. But the sort of, oh, you will you will promote this thing you've written or you will promote this thing on put it on your Instagram put it on Twitter and you sort of have to be like yeah sure <laughs> fine of course and it's expected of you and you're like, I'm kind of on the wrong day it's a bit like and you will take this cocaine won't you like it's really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's a tricky one and then I don't you know and also I don't think as right you know I've realized as uh, you know, nowadays, writers are also expected to be performers and, you know, and we're marketeers mm. and it's all of that. And it's like, oh, I actually, sometimes I have to really sit down and go, no, Brian, your job is to do what you have, like, you, you're write the book. And yes, obviously you will promote it, but actually that's, do you know what I mean? Really, that's the publishers. Mm. That's their job. And I've had to be really kind of like, because I, I I can think the success is entirely down to whether I've done a good job in, and I hate, <laughs> I hate promoting things. I hate promoting myself. To, well, one might argue that social media is just one big promotion of oneself, but um yeah it's it's a very like it's quite exhausting I sound like such a whingy like people are gonna be like oh Brian it must be so terrible being you and having your jobs or your many jobs but I I have realized that I am like I you know you said at the beginning that I have lots of hats on but I am happiest when I have like a base in journalism so that I am doing other stuff that isn't about me (laughs) so like Mm. so you know I still have a job at the Telegraph well I hope I do I don't know like it you know (laughs) (laughs) at the time of recording I still have the time of recording where I go I write um a mental health column which isn't really about my mental health it's about life through a mental health lens generally and about campaigning for better mental health provision on a Monday in the paper which is which is great because it really does get me out of myself and I you know I'm, I'm working on something at the moment about child uh, mental health provision and you know it's that I really love that that really like propels me forward because it's a really useful helpful like I'm not, do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm being of, I'm mm. being of service. That and that's essentially what yeah. I do. And then I go and I, and then I have, I, 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 I have an, an interview slot, so I go and interview people, and you know that in itself is also fascinating because just getting to spend time with fascinating people and reading about them and chatting about them and turning up and knowing more about them than they do, you know, kind of thing. And um, and I find as long as I have that to kind of ground me and anchor me, mm. it, it, you know, the rest of the stuff is all, you know, because I can go into like, oh, I should just be writing books or I should just be doing this or, you know, what what am I? What is my career? What, what how would I describe myself? You know, I'm a flippity gibbet, essentially. <laughs> and I do a bit of everything. But like that, that's OK. Like I if I was writing about myself the whole time or it would be you know it, it, get, it becomes a sort of dangerous place to be do you know what I mean like I don't I don't want to be in my own head the whole time it's like god it's exhausting in there Daisy do you know what I mean um oh that makes so much sense and it's so resonant and I often think when I'm really really in the hole and struggling and it's usually my ego getting in the way and you know you talked about fear which was scarily sort of you know prescient because that's the it isn't that I go around thinking I'm a great success it's more that 
unless I'm kind of an unequivocal success and everyone says so and everyone agrees, I think I'm a complete and utter failure. And I yeah. know that my the way that my own sort of, you know, anxiety especially sort of manifests, it just makes me quite sort of self-obsessed in an awful way. And it's no, curiosity what, and gratitude every time that fix me. But that is... And I think that's what interviewing people does. That is what anxiety is, though. So it's not something to be like, you know, like that's what, you know, it's... That, that is what it is. And I don't think it's anything to, you know, we mustn't judge ourselves for it. But I do, I, you know, and I, and I, but yeah, I don't want to live, like I've realised the career that I've chosen. And this is probably true for a lot of people, like careers generally. Like, you know, it's interesting that I, my, in my career, I write about mental health. But I don't think that I work in a particularly mentally healthy way you know mm. and so and so I, because I am like yes yes I'll do that 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 yeah I'll do that it doesn't matter that I you know I, I I now won't have time to pee or go to sleep or do you know what I mean like of course I'll do that yes 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 or you know or or, 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 or I find myself working like all week or you know like not <laughs> everyone works all week but like I'm weekends and do you know what I mean and mm. I'm just not having boundaries as you say like and and I'm having to kind of I'm having to uh, you know as I get older I realize I have to I have to change that because otherwise I will just collapse you know and I've got a family and I've got you know and I want to enjoy that I want to I want to go swimming <laughs> I'm lucky that I've managed to like uh turn a bit of the things I you know I'm really lucky that my career basically involves doing a lot of the things I love you know like I'm about to embark on a crazy challenge which is to run 10 10ks in 10 days to raise money for mental health mates, but also to promote this venture that me and my friend Jada Cesar set up, um, which is Celebrate You, which is running for your um, your head and your heart rather than, you know, for the way you look. So it's all about running or, you know, exercising for everyone. And, um, and so, and I love doing that. I love like, that's one of the things I really enjoy is like doing challenges and showing that this stuff, like life is for everyone. It isn't just for the people that are like, you know really good at it or who are really slim or who are you know the strongest or the fittest or the whatever it's like it's all there for the taking whatever your shape or size or or body experience and um so I'm really lucky that I can do that if that makes sense but I also have to then draw a line and go well it's okay Brenny you can just like you can just do a run or go for a swim and it doesn't have to be like work (laughs) You don't have to, like, turn it into a challenge to raise money for charity. I'd love to talk about how work is, like, the one acceptable addiction under capitalism. It is the addiction Mm. we're all encouraged to have. And if one is a person where we use work and the validation it brings to to numb ourselves there are people queuing up around the block to exploit that and take advantage of it yeah it is it is real like it's a real workaholism and uh you know it's like anything you kind of switch one for another um put down the alcohol yeah but it's weird because i when i was in my like active alcoholism i work i was working really hard as well do you know what i mean it isn't like Mm. um I think that it's really interesting. I get asked to talk at a lot of companies about mental health. And, you know, you, you go in there and then you're like, and then you'll get a message from someone who works at the company afterwards being like, this place does not, like, it does not walk the walk. 
you know mm. and and, yeah. and I think that is I think we have to be really careful that we don't just talk the talk about mental health that we really live it in our everyday lives and that companies really live it because I see that you know I I, I see that it's really important to say okay well if you want a balanced life you you can't expect to have a balanced life if you're working all night every day all weekends like that isn't like where is the balance going to come from like you have to create it yourself and I think the more we kind of stand up to that the more stuff changes but I you know I and I remember like even just like 10 years not even 10 years ago it was when I first sent, set out mental health mates speaking to someone who worked at a big bank and he was like oh you you know I really like what you're doing uh but he was like it'll never ever percolate into uh into the city because you know mm. and I was like really and um and of course now you see that a lot of these companies do like you know they 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 they've partnered with mental health charities and whatever and I wonder but I wonder like at the top how many of them are burning out or have had to sacrifice I wish more people would talk about the sacrifices they had to they have to make to to be quote unquote yeah. s- successful you know it was it was really important the other day to to see Helena Morrissey call out her own you know superwoman uh mentality that she had that she had that she had put into the and I don't blame her for doing this but you know she has nine children she's a QC I think you know and it was uh you know and say actually I I was broken like I was broken and and I wish more of us would talk about that I think actually that the more professionally successful you are probably the less happy you are I mean that's that's huge and I think in the way that um I don't know if this is a fair thing to sort of compare it to or not. So, you know, as someone who I abused food, I changed the way I ate, I my body changed mm. and there were sort of, there were good things and bad things about that. And there were things I didn't like about the changes. Mm. And that I'd always kind of in my head as someone who'd had, you know, been a disordered eater her whole life, I'd be like, oh, when I'm this... I'll be happy. <laughs> yes, no, I am happy. It's got nothing to do with this. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's it, that like careers are exactly the same. And you're like, if I blah, 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 I'll be happy. Yeah. When I say the more professionally successful you are, the less happy you are. Like that's a obviously a massive fucking generalisation, okay? Because I'm sure there are people who are professionally successful who are totally happy and have got it right. But what I mean is the more that you prioritise your like... I think if the more you prioritise professional success over any other kind of success, the the mm. less happy you will be. And, uh, you know, but I also caveat that by saying that, we you know, we've all got to fucking pay the rent, do you know what I mean, on pay our bills. Mm. So, like, you know, it's 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 a tough... <laughs> can't be like, well... So it's, it's, it's a really tough balancing act. But I do, I do yeah. wish more people would talk about the balancing act and say, look, you know, like, I don't think it's any accident that when I probably was at my most successful career-wise, right, was go back, like, five years ago, right? And I had, like, 2017, I had, like, a number one best-selling book. I had just interviewed Prince Harry for my podcast. I was, you know, it was like, it was like, you know, I, I couldn't move for requests to do things and this, that, and the other, right? I was literally at the end of my drinking. Like, I was 
I was burning out, you know, and that was the year I rocked up in rehab. And I, you know, and I sometimes I have to go, oh, no, does this mean that being sober means I can't be successful anymore? And it's like, no, I can be. But it's like, I can't work like that. That's mental. Do you know what I mean? I can't like, I can't, I can't, I can't like, I can't live like that where I'm, where the only way I can sort of deal with, I don't know, like, so that's what I mean. It's a really complicated thing. And I think we had, I wish we had different, different sort of definitions of success. The other thing is what I've learned from interviewing people, Daisy, is that most of the most quote unquote successful people out there like people who've reached the like pinnacle of their careers and so I'm talking about you know like people that I've interviewed they're all fucking deeply unhappy (laughs) and they've almost all they're all trying to like deal with some I mean this is this again is a generalization but I find that they're almost all trying to deal with some trauma that they experienced as a child do you know what I mean or as a young person (sighs) you know I think sometimes professional success is spurred by darkness you know there are so many facets to that and maybe one is you know doing what what you do so brilliantly which is try and you know take something dark and difficult and complicated and bring it to the light and find the we but also yeah I do think that progress isn't linear and we think that we can outrun something Mm. that we think that sort of certain I often think about um in I think it's possibly more in America but maybe here as well and sort of in the academic world and this notion of like of tenure that academia is really really precarious and if you get tenure and that means you're like with a sort of prestigious university forever and you get paid and you get a salary and that I'm always seeking some creative version of tenure and I'm just trying to make peace with the fact that that doesn't exist and it's not like every and the other thing is looking at all the other people when I'm making myself very, very, very unhappy, it's the old compare and despair. Yeah. And I think that everyone else is sorted out and secure in themselves and sort of doing better than I am. And I feel like every single one of my perceived failures is sort of written on my forehead. I'm like, no, we're all shambling about and struggling and and losing it and worrying. And I mean, at the end of last year, and it was difficult because 2021 was globally... Um, what was the point of that hard year? for us all <laughs> it's awful in terms of my career stuff I had a really good year and lots of lovely things happened to me and at the end of the year I made a list of my happiest moments and highlights and my favorite memories a few involved work stuff most involved different delicious sandwiches I'd eaten <laughs> and different birds I'd seen in the park and when I saw a seal in the sea and again it's it's gratitude it is God, it all boils down to that, doesn't it? <laughs> and I am, listen, I am immensely grateful for everything I've experienced and um, been able to experience. And I don't, you know, for a moment, take it for granted. Um, uh, yeah, and I, and I want to make that clear because I sound, I do sound like a very whingy, but I also, you know, I think it's really important to explore what is, yeah, what is success and you know what what's important and it is those moments you know seeing a seal in the sea like that was probably my top moment of 2021 uh you know was was being in Cornwall what uh, with my family and you know and 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 going for a sunset walk one day and just ma- like seals frolicking in the surf you know 
Um, I was going to say, is it the same seal? And somewhere that seal is on a podcast going like, oh my God, I mean, everyone thinks I'm this like, <laughs> you know, beloved seal and I'm struggling with the attention. What they don't know is that while I was in that surf, I was desperately trying to get some fish and <laughs> I was like, can everyone stop taking pictures of me? And yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't think I'd really want to be a seal because, like, they have to live on some, like, rocky outcrops, you know, in the wind and the rain and the... But, um, but, I, but I, I would like, I would like... This brings me back to what I, I originally... But I would like a career that could somehow marry seal spotting and journalism. If anyone has any job opportunities... <laughs> that you know please do let me know I love that the sea is calling to you and I love the idea of the the mysteries of the deep there's a really great documentary about um Jacques Cousteau I nearly said Steve Zizou and I'm like no that's the film that's not that's what the thing is based on um it's really about how I believe, and I think other people might like write in and correct me with your Jack Cousteau facts because I don't know what I'm talking about. But what he started off doing sort of ruined the sea and ruined the environment. And he kind of spent the second half of his career trying frantically to reverse the first half. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of, that's a really good metaphor for most people's careers. <laughs> or life, just generally. Just life. I do firmly believe we spend the beginning of our lives getting fucked up and the end, the, the second half, trying to unfuck ourselves. Don't you? I agree. And I think that's the perfect point to end our conversation. And before I go, I wanted to ask about your challenges or anything where you'd like people to get involved or anything you'd like to direct people to. Oh, um, I mean, that's that's really the main thing I'm doing at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, if you wanted to, um, it's raising money for mental health mates so that we can support more walk leaders and grow up the, and get more walks all over the country. But that is all on my Instagram, really, uh, which is at Bryony Gordon, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, but it's been just, it's nice just to chat to you and not, you know, not feel the need to promote myself. Although I, <laughs> I don't have any books to promote, you know, or anything at the moment. They're all just there. Um, I will do, well, I, I will do shortly, but, you know, we can do something else then, right? <laughs> Definitely. I'm very excited. And you know, and I'm sure if there's, if there are any listeners who haven't read the the brilliant, brilliant back catalogue. People often um, ask me what order to read them in, like what order they came in. So there was the wrong knickers, then mad girl, then eat, drink, run, then you got this, then glorious rock bottom, and then no such thing as normal. And next is my first novel. But that's another conversation are you allowed do you have a title yet are you allowed to talk about it or is it tba it's called let down your hair uh it's ya and it's a retelling of rapunzel but it's all about body image and actually this is like yeah rapunzel gets alopecia which is something that i had when i well i still have um which is obviously in the news quite a lot currently i don't Mm. know where this is going out so um yeah that's uh all her hair falls out um i'm just like telling you the plot now so but it's, but yeah and i'm really excited that i've really enjoyed like writing that and exploring like what matters you know uh to us you know is it the stuff on the surface or is it the stuff underneath before we go i have one more question to ask yeah. you which is what does the phrase dream job mean to you my dream job would be one that uh, it doesn't exist <laughs> 
One that marries uh, seal spotting with writing. That's the dream job, right? Yeah. With a with a competitive pension packet thrown in. <laughs> uh, I love it. It's out there. It's got to be out there. If anyone's got one of those jobs, you know, I'll send my CV in. Huge thanks to Bryony. I love talking to her and every single one of her books has changed the way I think about life and how I manage my mind, as well as making me laugh. Please do read all her books if you haven't already, and we'd both appreciate it hugely if you'd consider sponsoring her upcoming set of 10Ks for mental health mates. Details in her Instagram bio, and I will share them in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to Daisy's Careering. The podcast is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast, with special thanks to Sphere. My novel Careering is published by Sphere and it's out now, available in hardback from all online bookshops with a special signed edition available from Waterstones and in some independent bookshops. It's also available from Amazon where you can find the ebook and the audiobook read by Celine Buckins and Joe Hartley. For now, I leave you with this from Anne Shirley by way of L.M. Montgomery. Oh, it's delightful to have ambitions. I'm so glad I have such a lot and there never seems to be any end to them. That's the best of it. Just as soon as you attain one ambition, you see another one glittering higher up still. It does make life so interesting. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.